What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 259 of KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. Today, we're talking about whether you should buy or sell first, and that changes with the market, and the market is changing. Enjoy. Welcome. Should I buy or should I sell first? That is the question. And it has should been, I buy or should I sell first? I'm sure we, if we go back, we have a long I sell? list of quick tips and podcasts where we address this question. But the interesting thing is our answer is different as the market fluctuates. Answer is variable to the variable market. But the the risks in both scenarios are the same regardless of what's happening. So let's talk about that. So if you are to... okay. You know, when you sign up for banking services, investments specifically, they have you do an investor profile. Yes. And in risk the risk tolerance. Risk tolerance. Yes. That should be one of the things now that agents have in their questions, hey, list of questions. What? It's a great idea. I know. We can add it to our I'm new buyer presentation and listing presentation. Yeah, fill out maybe. This, fill out this risk tolerance yeah. questionnaire so I know uh, and we can properly strategize the whole process. Right. And so you know the potential outcomes, extremes on both ends. Right. Done. High, high risk tolerance, very low risk tolerance. Depending on your answer to that question, yeah. our answer to should you buy yourself first would be very different. Yeah. And then please sign here because in six <laughs> months, if I haven't sold your home, I don't want to be liable. <laughs> if in six months you haven't sold your home, the contract is expired anyway, jackass. <laughs> Not necessarily. Depends on how long you do it for. Okay, let's start off. Uh, let's talk about the the general risks with the two scenarios. Well, general risk is if you buy first, you risk either not selling your home or selling it for less than you had budgeted for. Right. So ways to overcome that is, um, well, hopefully you do sell it, but at the chance you don't, you need to find ways to carry two properties. Potentially, or have some kind of an alternative backup plan, like if you could rent your house and carry both yeah. with so rental speak, income. Having having good people uh, advise you advise you is really important. So from your real estate agent to your mortgage broker, specifically, these two um, professionals can make or break a deal. And um, yeah, that's a great option in looking at if you can carry both properties, if one all of a sudden becomes a rental. Right. That's smart. Um, And before we extrapolate this conversation, the, on the other side of the equation is if you're putting yourself in a position of selling first, yes, then you know what your net proceeds are. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay, fine. We're talking about buying first. Okay. So buying first, your risk is you, one risk is you don't sell. The other risk is you don't sell for as much as it hoped. So this is all financial. So you yes. need to look at realistically, worst case scenario, let's be super conservative and say you se- I sell for way less than what I expected to. Can you still afford to buy a house at the budget you planned for? Or are you really stretching? Well, not even can you buy a house. Can you buy the house that 
you would feel good about buying, right? Like, well, what can you get? You, you, yeah. I mean, it depends on you fucking wording it just differently, but the same, same but different. Wasn't that last week's topic? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the other thing is you don't know your closing dates, right? So, well, you don't know one of the closing dates. If you buy first and you have a closing date, first of all, if you haven't sold, I recommend doing a long closing date to give yourself a comfortable buffer to sell. Because as soon as you sell, as soon as you buy that house, your level of stress elevates 10 times. Yes. And we see it in people all the time. Um, They could be the most calm and collected type of personality, but as soon as they've bought that house, they change. Yeah, there's $3 million on average on the line. Yeah, and we've been in scenarios where working with these people for six months, a year even, in advance, trying to get in there to do staging consultations, get the ball rolling, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll put it off. Yeah, we'll put it off. We're not quite ready, not quite ready. And then the right house pops up on the market. They're like, oh my God, I need to buy that house. So they go buy that house, and now all of a sudden it's okay. Now we got to get your shit together that happened to me. Yeah. That happened to me. I'm Literally not. happened to me. Um, let Recently. me think, what year was it? Oh. Yeah, two years ago. Okay. Two years ago. We went, we put an offer on the house. We were the highest offer. They came back. They said, your offer is the best, but your closing date is too long because I did that. I planned right. and said, okay, we're going to need a couple of weeks to prepare the home. We're going to need a week to stage it, to photograph it, et cetera. So it's not going to be on the market for three weeks. I need at that time an extra couple of weeks to sell it and an extra 60 days to accommodate closing on our sale. So we were like 100, 115 day closing. They wanted a 30 day close. And I said, I can't do it because we hadn't prepared our home to be able to turn it around quickly enough. Right. So... Preparation yeah. uh, alleviates a lot of the potential issues that you could have. Yeah. Well, and also uh, from the buying first perspective, which kind of ties into the selling uh, discussion, is if I am the listing agent of a property and I have two offers and they're fairly comparable with the exception of the price and now let's say the price was equal, but I find out buyer one has a house to sell still, and buyer two has already sold it. Buyer two is heavily favored. Sure. Right? Yeah. You know, depending on the price range of the home, let's say a million to $2 million, the range of value a seller may associate with that could be, I mean, anything from 10 grand to 50 grand. Yeah. Right? Like if you know confidently in this market that's a bit slower than usual and there's some uncertainty in the air, uh, if you know this, the buyer of your home has sold their home already and it's a firm deal, that holds a lot of weight. Right. So are we talking about selling now? Yeah. Same. So yeah. If, if you sell first, the risk is you might be without a house or you might be forced to buy something that you aren't 100% sold on that you don't love. Or you're, yeah, you're maybe moving twice. You might be moving twice. So you might be moving in with the in-laws. You might be moving to the Holiday Inn. If the weather is nice and you want to rent a cottage, an Airbnb for a few weeks or whatever, a few months. You have more options if you sell first and then buy. 
Well, the risks are buying first, there's more financial implications, potentially. And if you sell first, it's more just inconveniences. Some financial, like you may have to pay movers twice or store your stuff, but far less risky financially. And we're talking, let's be specific here, because we're talking in the current market, which is a buyer's market, like we talked about last week. If you missed last week's podcast, we were talking about lowball offers in a buyer's market. In this, this is applicable in this current market only. Yes. If if you're not listening to this on, well, actually, you're already listening to it a week after we've recorded it. So this main this information may be outdated yeah. <laughs> already based we, on we the may way have the to market's move to been a going. live podcast yeah. because the market is changing that. Yeah, that fast. but I mean the risks never change though. The risks never change. It's just the you know the likelihood of. Uh, successfully selling in a short period of time or long period of time um, will vary with the market. So that's another thing consideration. Here's a question that I get asked a lot right now and that our team is getting asked a lot right now. And it revolves around the sale of the buyer's property. Yes. So we're seeing a lot of buyers putting a condition in the offer to purchase your listing with the sale of the condition on the sale of their property. Yeah. So a lot of people ask me how that works. So I'm going to just briefly talk about that. All right. So. Well, let's talk about, we. there's an acronym associated with it, which a lot of people may not even know. And I think even the acronym SBP. varies from one agent to another. And we did do a podcast on that. So we'll include a link to it to, to dive into it further if you want more information. Sale of buyer's property. Um, it's not common for a seller to want to accept an offer that is conditional on the sale of the buyer's property. But it all depends on that offering of that listing because if it's a $5 million rural property and the home is seeing one showing a month, there's not a huge market in a, a, a demand in that market at the moment, and the buyer has a $1.5 million property to sell that is really, you know, highly demanded in a great neighborhood in Oakville. Right. And they just happen to have an inheritance of a couple million dollars now that they want to spend on upgrading their home, whatever. Then you might consider it, right? You might consider it and say, well, if these people give us an offer of $4.85 million and they want to make sure that they sell their home because financially they have to sell their home to purchase this, maybe it's a consideration. But if you have a, we talked last week about two and three story townhomes, um, you know, they turn over quite frequently in Halton and Peel region. How often does a seller of one of those properties accept a condition on the sale of the buyer's property. Not too often. It's rare. So how that condition is worded, essentially you are giving... Well, that can vary. <clears throat> it can. It, I've had different yes, variations. It can vary dramatically, which is why it's important to make sure that you have a realtor that understands that condition and that knows that condition and that does the due diligence necessary 
to make an informed decision on whether or not you're accepting that offer. Because if the buyer has, you know, a shack of a home in buttfuck nowhere north of Fergus, then... Or even just really unrealistic <laughs> expectations and they have done yes, nothing to point. prepare. That's a good point. Yeah. If they have a home, you know, on Thompson Road that's worth 900 grand... But when you do your due diligence, you find out from their agent that, oh yeah, it's a nice home, and we're gonna. What are you listing it at? Nine ninety five. I don't know. You might right. be a little more hesitant if they said, yeah, we're listing it at eight ninety nine because we know the market and we're ready to go. Uh, it's a different conversation. So, the standard clause of how that condition is worded is basically saying that. You, the seller, are agreeing to the terms and conditions of this offer. It is conditional upon the buyer selling their existing property, 123 Main Street, until November 31st. So you're giving them the next five weeks to sell that home. If it doesn't sell, then the deal is null and void if that date is not extended. And you as the seller go back on the market and you start from scratch again. Now, in there, oftentimes there is a first right of refusal. So it allows you as the seller to continue to market the property and field other offers. You can actually accept another offer conditional on getting out of the first offer. How you would do that is you go back to the first offer, say, there is an, another offer that's been accepted. Now is your time to um, either waive or fulfill your condition, well, waive your condition or walk away from this deal. And the amount of time that they would have is already set in the original offer. So it'll yeah, say... You'll have 48 hours right. to make a decision whether or not you want to remove that condition or uh, have the deal expire, essentially. Yeah. But here's the problem, and that is that as soon as the property goes to a conditional status <clears throat> on the real estate boards, it shows as conditionally sold. Yes. And the vast majority of agents looking at that are probably a bit reluctant or hesitant to show it well, to it their clients. Even, it does even show now on Realtor.ca. Oh, so the public are, does see that. Yeah, people are going to be a bit hesitant to look at it because they are going to be concerned. Especially that, in a buyer's market. Yeah, they don't want to get excited about the home only right. to find out that they can't buy it. Right. Right? Um, so, Although I will say this, because that's very true in any market where the buyers and the buyer's agents don't feel ne it's necessary to go and view that home if it's already sold conditionally, regardless of what condition it is. It could be a condition on financing, well inspection, septic pump out, whatever. But if you do have an opportunity to go and see that house, it might be worthwhile just because it's giving, if it does sell and those conditions are fulfilled or removed, it does give you a baseline because then you know what the value of that home actually is. And you were in there, you felt it, you smelt it, you touched it, um, you know, it, so it could give you a better insight to the current market and market values. More so yeah. than any other time. Well, we encourage, and that's one of the challenges, is getting people out to see properties. A lot of people are just, you know, they'll... <clears throat> Very passive. Yeah, they'll scan it online. Nah, it's not interested. I'm not interested. Or in they'll so randomly they go just go it. through an open house if they happen to be going by. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's a great um, 
practice to look at properties, even if you don't think they're going to be a good fit. And in many cases, I've had buyers purchase homes that were completely different than what they wanted to buy yes. because they went through the process of looking at stuff. And they're yep. like, oh, yeah, I actually kind of like this. Or maybe things they thought they liked they actually don't like yep. um, or areas they hadn't considered, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing as a seller, if you're in a position where you have to close on another property, accepting a uh, uh, an offer with the sale of buyer's property condition is risky because you're now more or less taking it off the market. Not exactly, but more or less you're limiting your exposure for 30 days, 45 days, whatever it happens to be. And then at the chance that the buyer can't sell their home, you're basically restarting. Yeah. And now at that point, said, start from scratch. Yeah. You might only have a month left before closing and you're in a very, risky position. So sure. we're talking about risk tolerance. So one, uh, recently we had a seller who was in a similar situation. They still had a couple months before closing. Um, so they didn't want to accept this offer with that condition in it. So we came to a mutual agreement with the buyers where we did a six month closing. Right. They really wanted the house. We really weren't comfortable accepting that condition. So we did a six month closing. Um, and that gave the buyer the peace of mind that, hey, that's plenty of time. Like one way or another, I'm selling well, this hope. house in six months. You hope. You hope. There's always a risk. Because in that six months, the prices could decline. It could. But now, I mean, as a seller, they're now obligated. Now what happens, Adrian? Yes. So you sold your listing with mm -hmm. a six-month closing. because, yeah. And it was to buyers that had a initial offer that included the sale of their property condition, right? Yes. So they don't have that condition now. So they are buying this home firm. So now what happens in that six months, if it takes them four months, let's say three months to sell it. And in that time, the prices have come down and they accepted a little bit less than uh, they anticipated. But the prices keep going down and the buyer of their home has a home to sell and the prices go so low that now they can't go, they can't close on that home, which means they can't close on that home. Please call your lawyer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, I well, mean, these are all risks, right? They're all, and, all risks, and, but they're all very realistic risks because that trickle effect yeah. can happen. And I'll just say this. If you are negotiating any deal of which has any consequence to you in terms of the financial positioning to close on other real estate, so if you are accepting the sale of your home to a buyer, make sure you have a big enough deposit that it's going to make them feel the pain, essentially. Yeah. Oh yeah, you don't want to close on my $1.5 million house? That's fine. We've got $200,000 of your money sitting in a trust. 200,000 is a little excessive, but we have $100,000 of your money sitting in the trust account, see in court. Right. Yeah. Well, and and this is why, you know, with the particular sellers in this scenario, in the very beginning, I uh which I do with everybody, but I said, you know, find out how much you're finding if you can bridge finance. And how much it costs, so that if we get you into... Know what I, you know what, I'm going to correct you there for a second, and I haven't told this to the team, but I'm going to say it here, and hopefully they all listen to this podcast or watch it. 
By the way, you can watch You're gonna correct all me on other something that 258 episodes at ktconfidential.ca. Take you right to the playlist. Um, okay, continue then. So, you know, I have the discussion with clients that um, they should confirm if they require financing, um, if they can, if their bank will permit bridge financing, because not all banks will, most will, but not all. And if they can, or they do, find out... Um, how, how long they can, because most banks will cut it off at a certain point, and that can depend on the market too. But also find out how much it will cost you on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You can usually get these numbers. Because when you're in negotiations with a buyer, if the buyer wants to close two, three, four months down the road, you need to be able to do the math to figure out what does that cost you financially, especially if there's more than one offer on the table. So you can really crunch the numbers and figure out which one puts you in a better position. You have to find out what the lender's terms are for, and this is what I was going to correct you because you said bridge financing. Now I like to talk about bridge financing and alternative lending. Yes. Because at the end of the day, you have a gap that you have to have money for. Yeah, alternative is maybe private lending. It doesn't matter where that money is coming from. It could be coming from the bank of mom and dad. Right. Well, bridge finance, yes, okay. Bridge financing is probably, well, I was going to say it's probably the cheapest. Um, bank of mom and dad's probably the cheapest, depending on your mom and dad. Who knows? Banks are are really, you know, trying to profit right well, now. Well, no, no, I know, but the alternative is private. Yes. If well. mom and dad are not an option and the bank is not an option, private's your last resort in most cases. And uh, while it can get you out of a bind, it'll cost you a lot to do it. Depends on your definition of private, because maybe you know John down the street. Uh, who I happens. would classify that as mom and dad. Any close relative No, or mom friend. and dad is mom and dad. No, no. You don't replace mom and dad with John down the street. John may give better rates than mom and dad, depending on your family. No, John just might give you less headaches than mom and dad. Mom and dad mean, oh yeah. Mom and dad will hold it over your head forever, right. depending on mom and dad. So you need to know what options for money exist and what it's going to cost you yeah. and how long until you got to pay that back. Yeah. A lot of prime banks, BMO, RBC, TD, BNS, they all have set... It's funny you say BNS versus Scotia. Bank of Nova Scotia. I don't know. I use the acronyms. Um, they all have criteria for bridge financing. Oftentimes, they are capped at 90 days. Some of them will go to 120. In this market, it's often 90 days. Sometimes they will arrange uh, home line equity to cover off the deposit on one or the remaining balance on the other, whatever. So you, you got to know what options exist because that is that plays a big component. That's a big variable. And when you sell first, if you do have to carry both, or, sorry, if you buy first and you do have to carry both, can you carry both? Right. And for how long? At the end of the day, though, let's face it. Every home can sell. It's just a matter of at what price. So if your home is absolutely worth $1.5 million, but you are willing to accept $1.4 to get the deal done because you bought your dream home, 
maybe it's worth it to you. That's the risk tolerance. That's what you got to know. Those are the costs you got to know. Agreed. Know the what ifs. And if you're in a downward market, you got to stay ahead of the curve. So just be careful of pricing too high and then doing subsequent price reductions versus pricing strategically low to get a lot of interest and yeah. selling if quickly. You're, if your realtor has their hand in the cookie jar, they know exactly what's going on during, maybe that was the wrong analogy, but... Um, finger on the pulse Finger on the, the pulse, yeah. You know, out there every day doing the dirty work and got... I bet that realtor that was drinking milk out of the fridge had his hand in the cookie jar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he wanted the milk, eh? Yeah. Um, no, but realistically, if you're hiring a realtor now and they don't have any listings on the go, uh, how much of a pulse do they have on the market? Yeah. Are they actively negotiating any contracts? Are they actively negotiating with buyers, bringing in lowball offers like we talked about last week? So there, there's, there is a lot, and it can be overwhelming, especially for somebody that's got three, four, five million dollars riding on on this potential move. A ten percent swing, you know, you're talking a few hundred thousand dollars. It's not chump change, so you have to be making the right decisions. Uh, there is no definitive answer. Should you buy or should you sell first? It's a very, very specific conversation to your specific scenario and your specific needs and your specific risk tolerance. I think the biggest problem with a lot of people, though, is kind of goes back to what we were saying about how they don't prepare and they're just kind of, they've got one foot in. Like, if you want to move, make the decision to move and get yeah, things It's very in much order. a shit or get off the pot time. Yeah, because it's the people that... Um, there is a lot of hesitation in the market, though. Like, there are a lot of people saying, yeah, we're, we're laying in bed scrolling through realtor.ca every night and we're seeing some homes that are coming up, but... Yeah. But... Well, and there's like, but, we had a call from a past client not long ago... And that's sort of what they were doing. And they said, okay, well, let's make, let's call the guys and get them in for evaluation. And, you know, we went in, did the value, and we were, the value of their home was half a million dollars or more less than what they were expecting. So they were just dreaming. And, you know, after that discussion, they came to realize it and they could have saved themselves a lot of time or adjusted their expectations yeah. and focused on homes that actually made sense to them financially. I'll go back to saying if you're thinking of upgrading, this is a great time to do that. Or just getting into the market. Or just, oh Prices yeah. haven't been this low for a very long time. And if rates you, will go down inevitably. If you don't currently own a home, there are a tremendous amount of opportunities in the GTA, outside of the GTA, and some pretty attractive deals out there, some pretty attractive negotiating ability out there. If you've got cash in the bank and you got a mortgage approval, you're going to be doing well in a buyer's market. Well, I got a call from a client who's been renting. I helped her find a place to rent probably five years ago. And her landlord now is evicting her. It's funny. He sent her a notice saying your rent's going up by $1,000 a month, which he can't do for this particular property. And 
Uh, she said no. So the next thing he got is, oh, here's an eviction notice. I'm moving in. Sure. Uh, but I said, okay, well, just run with it. If we find out it's a wrongful eviction, I'll walk you through what to do and you'll come out ahead. But now is a great time to be buying anyways. So let's go get a mortgage approval, which she has now done. And we're going to go find a place to buy. Yeah. So. Well, with rent going up as much as it has and the prices of homes coming down. Yeah. And if you, last point here, uh, not really related to buying or selling first, it's just more of advice to people buying, especially those that are starting to enter the market. Um, although they're probably not listening to this, but outside of the core of the GTA, I would say Milton and Burlington are kind of on the Western boundary of what's considered the GTA. But if you're looking in areas like Kitchener, Guelph, Woodstock, um, Grimsby, Niagara-on-the-Lake, areas that were absolutely booming during COVID are pretty silent at the it's, moment. It's done the reverse. In yeah. the beginning, it was like the city was dying and yes. the suburbs were booming. Yes. And now it's the opposite. Yes. The closer to the core you get, the better those properties seem to be doing. Yeah, because of prices. Now they became more affordable. Well, and a lot of a lot of influences. Like people geese. have to go back they to went the office south now. for the winter and now they're coming home. Yeah, people have to go back to the office too. So I right. know people that moved out out of the province. Yeah, one of my clients works for RBC, was working from home for the last three years. They just said now you have to come back to their head office in downtown Toronto. He lives right. in Milton, downtown Toronto, three days a week minimum. Oh, changes life a bit again. Yeah. Anyway. There you have it. If you want to know whether you should buy or sell first and you want to have a consultation with one of these beautiful people or any of the other beautiful people on our team, we are happy to do so. Just leave a comment and we'll be in touch. Ciao. That was my pitch. Was you a good like one because yeah. we do help buy and sell, so right. we can help them figure it's out which what one we to do, do for a living. That's right. That's it. Thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate the support. Make sure you leave a comment. Let us know your thoughts on the topic, or if you have a request for a topic, comment below and follow for or subscribe. Subscribe. That's about right. See you next week.